Welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Ross Barkin. Ross, could you please introduce yourself? Happy to be here. I'm Ross Barkin. I am a writer, a columnist, and a journalist. I, I write for different publications. I've published a few books. I'm, I'm right now a contributing writer to New York Times Magazine. I also write for New York Magazine, and I do a column with The Nation, and I... Uh, run a Substack newsletter, uh, rossbarkin.substack.com, uh, where I share a lot of my thoughts on New York and national politics. And I'm very excited to be here to chat. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So we're, we're first going to be talking about a piece that you wrote a couple of weeks ago, and it was on your Substack. MAGA is here to stay, wishful thinking on Tucker and Trump, and the link will be in the show description. Uh, so you wrote this after Tucker Carlson's sudden firing from Fox News, but you were reacting also to, I guess, arguments that Greg Sargent of the Washington Post had made um, and other people as well that the MAGA movement or Trump himself or the combination of the two, maybe there's no actually no difference, uh, is running out of steam and you uh, disagreed with that. So why do you think why do you think MAGA is, is here to stay? I think anyone who thinks MAGA is on the decline or waiting or dissipating is engaging in, in wishful thinking at best or myopia at worst. MAGA controls a major political party in the United States. We only have two of them that matter. And one of them, which has a pretty good chance to take the Senate next year and the presidency as well, is effectively controlled by, uh, for lack of a better word, the MAGA movement by Trumpism, whatever you want to call it. And, and you know, I think there there's this idea that because candidates supported by Trump lose in races, oh, Trump must be weaker. You know, I, I look at the Republican primary right now, it's Trump is winning by a lot. If you pay attention to the polls and, and should win by a lot, barring Honestly, a health setback or death, I, I don't think that the legal implications matter much for him in the Republican primary. And uh, he's quite strong and he's quite popular in the Republican Party. And even those Republicans who maybe at first don't like him or go against him at times, ultimately they fold in. And you see this again and again. Um, you know, the leader of the Republican Senate campaign committee endorsed Trump for president again. And I think that's that, that, that tells you all you need to know from the establishment on down. Um, Trumpism is in the party. The head of the RNC is a close ally of Trump and, and on and on it goes. So I, I don't buy the counter arguments, though I understand where they come from. Yeah, I mean, you know, Trump has always been both strong within the party but there's you know he like in 2016 he never really won a majority in the primaries he you know it was a split field and he was able to get like 35 to 45 percent continually and went that way so and you know there's definitely more of a anti-trump faction within the party than there's like an anti-biden faction within the democratic party um that being said you know Counting him out is always. I think the anti-Trump. I think the anti-Trump faction, the Republican Party, is uh, partially a media creation. I, I don't know if one truly exists. I mean, there are 
people running around like Asa Hutchinson, who are Trump skeptical, you know, Nikki Haley in series Trump skeptical, but she worked for him. Um, I, I don't see it. Uh, I, I don't I don't see if you're talking about the Republican Party, there are certainly factions in terms of those who care more about, you know, um, economic and fiscal conservatism versus those who maybe are more vaguely populist versus those who are isolationist in foreign policy versus those who are very uh, neocon interventionist. Like, I think those factions exist, but I mean, an anti-Trump faction, the Republican Party, I don't know what evidence there is that someone, there's a large contingent of voters who are effectively against him. Now, DeSantis has a lot of support, but it's it's not like these voters wouldn't also vote for Trump too. I mean, some of them aren't sick of Trump. I mean, Trump's been running a lot. He hasn't won. He is crazy. So no doubt there's fatigue, but I, I don't really, I don't see a, a, a sizable anti-Trump faction of the Republican Party, put it that way. Mm -hmm. One thing I can't decide or is whether, I mean, is the MAGA movement separate from just Trump as a sort of cult of personality, like if Trump dropped dead tomorrow, would the MAGA movement go on? Like Don Jr. is not going to lead it. Um, you know, DeSantis was sort of pitching himself as like a sane version of Trump or a smarter, uh, you know, less um, a Trump who could get things done, but pursued similar policies. But, you know, Trump doesn't have a, co a coherent ideology and if he, you know, turned on a dime about any particular policy issue, I, I assume most of his, you know, the 70 or to 90 or whatever percent of the GOP likes him would would just go along with it. So is there is there a, an actual mega movement that's not just Trump and Trump does whatever he wants based on his whims? I think we're, we we will find out. You know, that's that's the cop out answer is that one day Trump will die and we'll know um, now. I think on one hand, no, in that it is partially or, or fully, depending on their view, a, a cult of personality. It is built around him and his urges and his whims and his ideas. On the other hand, there is a, I would call it like a, like a, a thinly sketched philosophy of MAGA, which is very nativist. Uh, fairly isolationist. So again, I think the isolationism can vary depending on, you know, if China is brought up and then those who are very isolationist on Ukraine will suddenly sound like hawks on China. But I do think you have that element there. And there is more tolerance for, um, I would say, you know, fiscal populism in MAGA than in the traditional, uh, you know, traditional wing of the party. You know, I think you have kind of Reaganites, or even if you look at Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign, it was a very fiscally conservative campaign. I don't, you know, Romney himself, you can talk about him, but just looking at the campaign he ran, Trump did not run such a fiscally conservative campaign. No, as president, he was a conventional Republican in that sense, in terms of tax cuts. But mm -hmm. I do think there is this sort of suddenly sketched mega a view that's that will outlast him. You know, the Republican Party is anti-immigrant. It's going to continue to be. I think Trump gave voice to Republicans who are tired of the neoconservative and, and sort of internationalist foreign policy. I think that's going to continue, right? Um, 
you know, the, the economic element that I think I, I'm a little skeptical that, you know, any, any Republican is really not going to support slashing the social safety net if they have, you know, all the reins of, of power. But it is notable right now, Trump is running in 2024 on protecting social security and Medicare. You know, you, you can you can take that with a grain of salt. That is currently his campaign in the primary. He's attacking DeSantis for, for not doing this against mm-hmm. Congress. Yeah, I mean, Trump's lack of ideology meant that he could discard the unpopular ideological aspects of movement conservatism, like cutting entitlements and stuff, because he doesn't really care either way. Um, but, you know, like, and he's, been, he's, you know, DeSantis, I guess, campaigned on cutting Social Security at some point. But sort of like the, I don't know, the the phoniness of it all is the people who are like MAGA Nation. Like, these are just the Tea Party people, more or less. They were more or less happy with George W. Bush's compassionate conservatism. Like, it's all sort of the same thing. And or this, this, it's not like these people are had some like radical, like ideological shift. It's just like angry conservatives who are mad, whose anger gets channeled at various targets, I think. Um, so Trump can say, I'll protect your social security. And whereas, you know, DeSantis was on the record wanting to cut or privatize or whatever, 10 or 15 years ago, that's good for Trump because the vast American public likes social security. Um, when Trump was in power, he just passed Paul Ryan's tax cut and, you know, most of his domestic policy was the same as what, you know, a Ted Cruz or something would have, would have done. Um, so a lot of it was in the, the rhetoric and the emotionalism and the showmanship and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think Trump in many ways was a conventional Republican office, certainly in his judicial appointments, it was no different than what Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz would have done in terms of appointing Gorsuch in terms of Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, I mean, these, these were judges who any conventional Republican would have, would have nominated. I would say if there was a divergence of policy between Trump and the conventional Republican, I, I saw it in the initial response to the pandemic with the CARES Act, which was, you know, trillions of dollars in government spending, you know, the Trump, in, in a way, you know, the Trump alignment with the Democratic House uh, was kind of this, this perfect storm uh, to, you know, suddenly plow a lot of money into the economy at a time when the uh, economy was teetering on a ruin when COVID first arrived. So that was interesting. I think the, the CARES Act was interesting to me. Um, in terms of, I don't know if President Ted Cruz is signing off on that. I think he's more of an ideologue on this fiscal mm-hmm. stuff, where Trump is flexible, where if the opportunity is there, you know, I always joked that the uh, true, you know, true way Trump could own the libs is to come out in support of universal health care. Um, <laughs> and and he, he's someone who I think, I think in the past, like way back when, in like the 90s, you know, it would say vague things about how it's a good idea. But of course, you know, he, he's not going to go there. And, you know, I think Trump himself, you know, he, he is uh, a pretender and a phony. And we know that a liar. And I don't think he cares about much of anything but himself and power and survival. But I do think it's interesting. You know, we'll see what happens when eventually he leaves the scene. 
does this policy realignment that he either inadvertently caused or, you know, maybe actively thought about it and caused, you know, does that continue in the Republican Party or does it default to what it was in the Bush years, right? A religious, religiously very conservative party that uh, was fiscally conservative and very supportive of international uh, adventures and and, mm-hmm. and and funding the, the military to go fight wars, you know, and, and is that just what the Republican Party will eventually revert to? It's possible. I, I don't know, but I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think that that initial rescue plan in the that first stage of the pandemic was like passed on a voice vote in Congress. I mean, most of most of the representatives were not there because of the you know, lockdown. So if Hillary Clinton had been president, probably Ted Cruz or someone like him would have objected to an identical rescue package. Just ah, no, def- Oh, definitely. I think Trump was able to get Republicans to support. I'm trying to remember how big the CARES Act was, it $2, two trillion? Uh, it was it, sort of it, insane. It, it, and they also they the suspended the, um, the debt ceiling indefinitely. That was one of the, just to show how bullshit that whole yes. thing is. Like, uh, you the know, it was a true emergency out. and- Everything yes. just and yeah. and I'm a defender of the carrot. I mean, you know, both both conservatives and I would say not too much progressives, but definitely left pundits have criticized the CARES Act. And certainly, there's a lot of waste in it, and there, there was fraud in it. There's, there's, I'm, that's inarguable. But as a policy response in in the throes of this unknown crisis, it was pretty successful in that it, it kept the economy from entering a new Great Depression. So I, mm-hmm. I I I look back on on March 2020 and the policy making in that era and go, you know what? This was actually an example of the American system working for once, not to contain COVID, we know that, but to save the economy. And and, and you look at, you know, in in general, um, you know, the, the American stimulus, you know, even globally was was pretty large. And I think, you know, it, it to a reason why today we struggle with inflation, but unemployment is low and things hum on. It's, it's not dire by any means. And it's really nothing like the aftermath of the 2008 crash, which which was a malaise that lasted almost a decade and helped elect Trump. Right, right. Um, and as to whether once Trump eventually does pass from the scene, his sort of populist instinct, or at least not caring about deficits or whatever, will continue on. I mean, it seems like the, you know, the, the people who run economic policy in the GOP are people who want low taxes, less government regulation, and that's about it. That's what they care about the most. So that will probably, I think, revert, you know, once the, the craziness yeah. of Trump. And I mean, Trump passed a huge yeah. tax cut. So those, those people they, got, yes. got what they wanted. No, I, I, I don't bet against the plutocrats for a second. I do, I do think the left or, you know, or, or certain people on the left do discount some of the, um, some of the, you know, re- Republicans, you know, I'd say Holly and Vance, I think on one hand are looking to be successors in this MAGA movement. I mean, I mean, how serious they are about, I would say economic populism, I think the, the jury is very much out on that and wouldn't shock me if, again, they revert to standard issue Republicans on taxes and spending once Trump's out of the picture. But you have someone like Hawley taking interest in antitrust. I think the antitrust movement is is one of those things now that he's attracting some bipartisan support. You know, does that continue or does that fizzle? 
Um, I, I think I, I can't answer that, but, um, you know, there are various, you know, voices in, in the Trump way vying for influence and, and for sort of agenda setting where that goes. I don't know. So Trump has been indicted and it seems likely he's going to be indicted one or two more times this year. And he also may be held liable in a civil sense uh, for rape in this case that just, I think, went to the jury today. Um, and there's some there's some chance that on election day 2024, he will be in jail. Like, that seems insane, but that could happen. Do you think any of this will affect Trump's standing within the party or the MAGA movement, like you know, their takeover? Not, I mean, not within the party. I think certainly Trump as a general election candidate is very flawed. You know, I, I mean, this, this general election, assuming it's Biden-Trump, is, is really going to be this war of attrition between, you know, an, an incumbent president who to, to most ordinary people seems too old to be president and Donald Trump, who is unhinged and he's Donald Trump, right? And, and he really right. comes with, you know, so so much baggage from trying to overturn an election to being, uh, you know, a serial liar to being indicted. You know, all, all these things will add up in a general election context. And I don't want to, you know, I think people, you can get too cynical and say, well, look, he's rising in the GOP primary. It's true. But, you know, come, come, you know, October, November 24, um, certainly and this is one of those elections that like, like the last ones are going to hinge in a few states on uh, a few factors. You know, Clinton Trump in 2016 probably broke on Comey. Uh, you know, 2020 could have broken for Trump, too, um, if a few states had gone differently. So it's going to be like that again. So I certainly think. Trump himself is not invulnerable by any means, but in the, in the Republican primary, I don't think these indictments matter. I, I do think that liberals will have to accept that the Manhattan indictment is not that strong, and it's very unlikely Trump is going to spend time in jail uh, based on my understanding of the Alvin Bragg case. You know, you're talking about a campaign finance violation now. The other indictments, right, a different story. And I don't, I haven't studied them well enough and I don't want to really weigh in or speculate. But, you know, you have a, a case against him in Manhattan that, in best case scenario, he could possibly do jail time, but it seems unlikely. So already, if you're viewing it through a purely political lens, it is a win for Trump that he gets to be a martyr. Uh, in a case that is is not certainly the smoking gun that a lot in the left hoped it'd be. Mm-hmm. Now, the other cases could be different. And of course, the legal problems you saw with Clinton in 2016 can dog you. And so I, I don't underestimate Trump struggling with this in you know August and September of next year at all. But in terms of the, of the primary, he's here to stay. I don't see a scenario where he doesn't win the nomination again, barring health. That that's what it comes down to. To me, it's not anything legal. It's if literally if his uh, elderly friend gives out, <laughs> which well, it happens to happens to all of us. Um, yeah, other I mean, than that, you I mentioned Biden's fine. Biden's age. He's eighty. Yeah, um, Trump is only issue. three years younger, and you know, well, Trump he's, he's five, five. Yeah, he's born forty six. Or no, four years, four years. Biden's born 42. 
They're four years apart. Okay, maybe it's closer to three and a half. Yeah. They're not. They're not that much older. Yeah. And Trump himself was the oldest elected president when he was elected yes. in 2016. And Trump has. I mean, even in 2020, it was noticeable that Trump was not as sharp as he was four years earlier. If you watch the Clinton Trump debates, Trump is much more on the ball and is like more cracking jokes and like dissing dissing Clinton than he did in the in the Biden debates where, you know, if people remember his in the first one, he was just like yelling and interrupting all the time. I guess that was a purposeful strategy. But anyway, you know, in 2024, he will be eight years past what he was in 2016 and he already was crazy and is even more surrounded by sycophants and in his own little world um, than, than he was before. So I think like, obviously Biden is not as sharp as he used to be, but Trump is as well. And I, and if, I don't know, I assume there will be GOP debates. I, I think Trump said something like he might not show up, but that seems like bullshit to me because he loves to be on television. But I do wonder if if any if that could somehow change the the dynamic, um, if because it, I don't know he he just isn't as sharp and with it and like funny and clever as he as he once was. So well, I think no, that I think, that I think still his, is a wild card. I, I think his his rallies are still very Trump. Trump. I don't see a difference in watching his rally performances. I guess recently than him in 2016 he seems like the same character you know he seems str- i mean i haven't uh, i haven't seen more than a handful of clips that circulate which are probably yeah. the more insane ones he seems more yeah. insane than he was before or more rambling or whatever like he's not getting any better um no and, he's not he, and a year he, from now he, he's his, gonna be a little bit worse probably it's plausible i mean it's, I mean, it's definitely plausible i don't want to you know, say Trump will cognitively improve because he won't. Um, you know, I, I think Trump and Biden are interesting where it's, you know, it, it's aesthetically at least, uh, you know, the, the styles are someone who, you know, uh, appears he, very uh, aggressive and loud and, and unhinged and kind of an insult comic and, and, you know, getting facts wrong, but also entertaining versus Biden today, who is slower, um, just in terms of speech that he used to be and does misspeak more. And people have attributed that to stuttering. I think that's insulting to people who stutter. I know people who stutter and they don't get facts wrong in, in the public domain like Biden does. You know, like like thinking, saying multiple times that um, Bo died in Iraq, which I do think, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I do think if you were a Republican president, the left-leaning media would, have shredded him for that. Um, but, you know, like I said, these things can all cancel out and that, yes, Trump is who he is. He is incendiary. He, he is someone who is going to have a cap on his support. I don't think he's someone who can grow his support necessarily. And then Biden, who will be, um, you know, turning, uh, you know, 82 uh, shortly after the election. And, you know, is fit physically, but... Um, is not he's not the Biden he used to be, and he's not the Biden of like 2012 debates. He's not mm-hmm. the Biden of 08. I mean, that's just that's obvious to most yeah. people. Um, so how that shakes out, I don't know. Again, this is it, it, it's just going to be another highly polarized election that 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 comes down to Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, and that's pretty much it, right? So, uh, what issues will hang over the race? I don't know. 
there also was this dynamic and maybe you know primary debates don't really matter like no one really watches them and certainly everyone in america's opinion about trump is pretty set in stone at this point but there was this dynamic in the 2016 GOP primary where everyone thought Trump would eventually self-destruct or just withdraw, the whole thing was a joke, or they were waiting for someone else to really uh, take him down. And instead, so, you know, like Chris Christie took down Marco Rubio. And like they, now it's clear, like if anyone else in the GOP wants to be the nominee next year, they have to go after Trump. And that, and everyone attacking him, you know, for 90 minutes, that's not a dynamic that happened before so that could be different but who knows he, you know he's a talented performer and yeah like a worship built insult comedian so debate. who knows what'll happen trump could skip the debates i mean i just don't know if they're going how, how those debates will go and if he'll do that i mean that's i genuinely don't know i mean trump did skip out on, on a debate with biden so you know again he is very unreliable and he don't know what he's going to do so that's true but i think he, he and, likes he likes getting attention he, and he likes being on yeah, TV. Yeah, no, he does. So he'll probably, he just the whole will he or won't he show up thing. He like, he did, he did it's that its before. Own story. Yeah. So, and then, yes. so I think he probably, he can't skip every single one. Although who knows? He, you know, he does, he does what he wants. I, I would guess though that he would, he is going to show up. Yeah. And it will be so, it, it's more unpredictable than I think. Like, it's not just going to be Trump, like giving people derisive nicknames and then, carrying away because like we saw what happened before and right. most of these people are intelligent enough to realize they need they need a different strategy um right yeah okay i want to at least briefly mention or talk about another piece that you wrote um, sure the tragedy of jordan neely this is also on your Substack. Uh, probably most people have heard about this or seen the disturbing video um a mentally unwell homeless man who was killed by a uh, subway passenger who was ostensibly just trying to restrain him um, and the man who killed him has not been arrested yet. Um, actually, I, I, why do you think that that's the case? Why NYPD seems like they can arrest or at least detain anyone if they want to and they don't get in trouble for that. Why is this guy, Penny, not been arrested? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I don't know exactly why. I mean, look, I, I think there's certainly a lot we don't know about what happened. You know, we have video, uh, there's gaps in time. Um, you know, we have, we don't have a complete picture, uh, but we do know, you know, there, there's certainly for most people, there'd be enough to at least be taken down to a police station. So I, I, I can't say why, uh, you know, certainly the uh, district attorney's office in Manhattan needs to wait on that. Um, I think it, it will happen soon. I mean, again, perhaps the NYPD is showing deference to uh, Penny and, you know, maybe because he was a, because either he's white or he's a Marine veteran. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. Um, my guess is he will get arrested at some point. Um, but again, we don't know all the facts yet so i think we'll, we'll have more clarity on that i hope soon mm -hmm. but, but nypd has arrested people without all the facts being known before in the past yes. it, it's there is something strange about it i mean the it seems like you could charge him with various things that are short of murder that he may likely be guilty of um okay but then you you wrote about both like the 
way the left and the right are reacting to this. And there's been a lot of, it really, I don't know, I, I, you know, Twitter has gotten worse since Musk took over and there's some sort of free-floating bloodlust on right-wing Twitter that um, is getting expressed when a horrible incident like this happens. Um, but you you called out the left or sort of like the defund the police, abolish prison type, which I think was, you know, had its moment, but it was always pretty marginal and never really accomplished anything. But like, you know, there's some people who need to be arrested and who else is going to do that aside from a police officer. But, but I'm, I'm summarizing your argument. What do you, I mean, what do you, yeah. what do you think about this? So uh, this is one of those incidents that really, I think it exposes the hollowness of a lot of people's politics. And, and I criticized conservatives pretty extensively in my piece, you know, the, the, the law on order, the law and order conservative who suddenly is cheering on a vigilante and hopes the vigilante doesn't get arrested. And, and you know, the, the same people who quote unquote back the blue, but then like when, you know, civilians go out and hurt people. Um, but, but, you know, here, the civilian was hurting someone who they don't like or they view as like the perceived enemy. So it's okay. I think similarly on the left, you have people who supported defunding or abolishing the police, defunding or, or abolishing prisons, and really objected for you know for a long time, or at least rhetorically, to the idea of arresting and prosecuting and incarcerating. But if the person is a perceived enemy or has done something that goes against them or their movement, they are happy to call for a swift arrest, a swift prosecution, a swift incarceration, right? Obviously, with defund the police, there are many different types of um, people in the movement, everyone from uh, reformists to anarchists to those who simply want to move funding around, to those who want to end policing. And I, I do think that the, at least some people in fund have to stop uh, using the cop-out of, well, we don't mean abolish. I mean, if you go back to 2020, a lot of the rhetoric was defund to abolish. Defunding is on the road to abolition. And even if you talk to elected officials like Tiffany Caban, uh, the, the DSA member of the city council in Queens, she would say, I, I want to defund on the road to abolition. My goal is abolition. I think that's a fine goal. I think you just have to acknowledge that uh, you need a framework for arresting, indicting, and prosecuting, because that's not going anywhere. Uh, jury selection, we will need some sort of place to hold people. You will need paid professionals to do these things. And, and I do think the left gets very naive about that. But the right is is not any better. And I think the, the bloodlust, as you say, which I would agree was really disturbing. Yeah, I think, you know, defund, abolish prisons. I think this is like such a bad cul-de-sac for the left to go down. Um, I did an episode a couple months ago with Raina Lipsitz, who wrote a book about like the new the new left, and I made this case, but it's, you know, th there's, there's no society on earth that doesn't have some form of police and prisons. And the special thing about America is everyone, everyone has a gun. So... You, you could have, you know, cops in Japan or Britain who just have nightsticks, but any anything that is like a police officer in America, they're going to have to have a gun because guns are so easy to get. And, you know, criminals and non-criminals like can have a gun 
get a gun, have a gun on them very easily. So that is the root. The guns are the root of a lot of these issues. But yeah, pointing out the hypocrisy of um, of the of back the blue type, you know, supporting vigilantism or taking the law into your own hands. I sort of darkly joked on Twitter that you know this was a sign that people are realizing Biden's going to win re-election and you know the state isn't going to kill people that conservatives don't like so they're going to have to start doing it themselves um but it's just i don't know it's the the right reaction was more ugly than i would have expected and yeah i don't know didn't, so, didn't surprise didn't surprise me i would say i mean you have going back decades you know, i think i thought of the Bernard Getz subway shooting of, of mm. 1984. And this definitely had echoes of that where, you know, Getz was cheered on by a large segment of the of the New York City uh, population. Uh, if, if you want to go back further to the killing of Harvey Milk and George Moscone, who, who's kind of forgotten that was a fascinating figure, it was the very progressive mayor of San Francisco. And, and of course, you know, that assassination paved the way for the rise of Diane Feinstein and she becomes mayor when, when he and Milk are killed. Mm-hmm. But um, the 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 ex the, the ex police officer and uh, board of supervisor who, who killed them uh, was cheered on by uh, the police union to by the law and order types. You know, he he was exacting. You know, the the it was the definition of of, of a vigilante. You know, murder. You know, someone taking the law into their own hands to do something that they believed was just, that was you know, evil. So it's, it's, it's an old current, but it is one that fails to survive any kind of uh, logical scrutiny or rigor. But again, as I wrote in my piece, most, I don't say most people, a lot of people engaged in politics don't, want what they want law and order but they only want law and order for their enemies right mm-hmm. they 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 proclaim you know whether it's a conservative who wants it well they want it for the people they don't like but if it's donald trump if it's a uh a marine sh- strangling a black homeless person then the law must go easy right then it's okay trump isn't arrested it's okay or it's okay that uh, Penny has yet to be arrested, right? Then discretion is fine. And, and, and similarly, you have people on the left who decry the carceral state, you know, who see the concept of, of, of law and order, let's say, or think prosecutors are, um, you know, not just need to be defunded, but the, the prosecution itself is inherently an invalid concept. And there are people who were saying that in 2020, right? These people will turn on a dime and start calling for law and order. If again their perceived enemy is the one in the crosshairs, then it is locked up Trump. It is locked up Daniel Penny. <laughs> and, and I do think you see across ideological lines this lack of rigor, this lack of consistency. And, and that's unfortunately been with us for a long time. It'll stay with us because I, I do think people in the heat of, of politics don't often think issues through. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, a core tribalism that overrides uh, most, like, yeah, it's just I I want my enemies punished. That's turned out to be a lot of American politics and ideology uh, goes out the window, as does, like, you know, belief in uh, due process or whatever. When I, uh, you know, after this 
uh, the killing happened, uh, you know, there were, yeah, you mentioned Bernie Getz. I was just Googling stuff about Bernie Getz and saw a New York Post headline from when there was just a sketch of the subway quote vigilante and the post he- the the cover of the post says post appeals turn yourself in um you know appealing to the to the vigilante himself so that does seem a little bit different even like 30 or 40 years ago i guess closer to 40 it would be like you know obviously there were people who supported gets there's like a guest for mayor grassroots campaign or something but it was still like you have to turn yourself in and have like justice rendered whereas now it seems sort of like oh this is great and he still hasn't been arrested so right. so things are things are getting worse yeah i mean certainly it's you probably see the backsliding on on that front uh you know it's you know it, it's it's all fascinating you know even views on federal law enforcement, the CIA and FBI, you know, you've seen almost a, a total flip in terms of how the rank and file member of each party views those institutions, where for many decades, it was the left with deep skepticism of the CIA mm-hmm. and the FBI and kind of, you know, believing rightfully so that they existed in part to prosecute people they perceived as their enemies and, and chase leftists and, and progressives. And now, you know, given Trump's hostilities, the FBI and the CIA, uh, many on the left now champion it suddenly and decry the fact that this he would attack these institutions. And of course, you know, Trump is not doing it because the FBI was was vicious to Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement. He's doing it because he wants to protect himself. So um there are very few people in politics who have consistent ideological convictions that can be that, that hold up to logic put it that way and, and that's that's unfortunately i think always going to be the case yeah and i just was googling again and the post found gets and got him on the record about penny and the quote is quote yes. he he got to pay um so if you can't even have you know the original guy on your side then um that's something okay um why don't we end things there um so if people want to follow your work uh, where would you direct them I would say you can go to my Substack. That's the easiest. It's Ross Barkin, uh, R O S S B A R K N dot Substack dot com. You can publish there every week, and you can also read me in the New York Times Magazine, in New York Magazine, and Creams, and other publications too. But definitely subscribe to my Substack. Okay, and the link to your Substack will be in the show notes. Um, so thank you for coming on. Thanks to all of the listeners out there, you know, if you're listening and enjoy this content, you can rate and review, smash that subscribe button, whatever, you know what to do. <laughs> okay. Um, Ross, thank you again. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.